There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Michael Eric Dyson has joined the conference. Great, Michael Eric Dyson. Bless you, my man. How are you? Oh, man, it's all good. I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, continue to document Lamar Jackson becoming the J- the Jay Z of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. He's killing the game right now, brother. Well, only difference between him and Jay Z is that he just has to stay healthy. <laughs> but he, he's yeah. playing a 100 percent injury game. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, no doubt about that. But boy, last night that boy was ridiculous. Oh man, it's just each, each week. Each week, he just continues to, uh, you know, redefine this thing. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. But, man, thanks so much for doing this, man. And congratulations, man, once again. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I, I know your time is is tight. You're, you're on this road. So we want to – hey, Aaron, what's our – are we all set up? Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm coming to you from sunny Los Angeles, where uh, last night we witnessed carnage as the Baltimore Ravens destroyed what was left of the Los Angeles Rams' dreams for the season. Uh, the fellows are busy taking exams, so they tell me. So my co-host is Honorary Roden Fellow Jamal Murphy. Uh, Jamal's in the ESPN studio in New York City, and he comes to us by way of North Carolina A&T State University, despite that those roots I've let him sit in the same studio with me. Uh, Jamal. Bill. How are you doing on this Thanksgiving Eve? Good to be here. Can't wait for the turkey and the festivities. <laughs> yeah. Where are you, oh, you're celebrating Baltimore. Yeah, I'll be, in, I'll be in your neck of the woods, Baltimore. Yeah. All right. Um, so we've got a special guest on the line today. Well, I mean, we all, all of our guests are special, but... Uh, this is a uh, special guest and a timely guest. Dr. Michael Eric Dyson is on the line with us today. He's a professor of sociology at Georgetown University. Uh, he's a contributing writer to the New York Times, a contributing editor of the New Republic, and he's been featured on the Undefeated website. Uh, he's got a new book out, Jay-Z, Made in America, which looks at the life and career of Jay-Z. And it takes a deep look at Jay-Z's lyrics and what they say about American culture. Uh, the book is out today, and you can find it at a bookstore near you. Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, welcome to the show again. Good to be here, my man. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations. Now, I remember we were, we were in D.C. Uh, maybe a month or so ago with uh, you, know, you and uh, Eton Thomas, and we were at the right. Howard University Library, I mean, a bookstore, I think. Right. What is it? Your twenty-first book, twenty-second. Where are yes, we? Sir. Number twenty-one. Twenty-one. Congratulations on this. And and one of the things that I want to start talking to uh, start start the conversation off. I really want to a talk about Jay Z because I think you know I've I've seen a lot of the different tours and interviews, and they we're going to get to a lot of other subjects, Kaepernick and all that. But it, it occurs to me that as black people, and particularly black men, black American men. We really do not give each other a lot of credit while we're alive. You know, uh, there's a lot of competition, and we're almost pit against each other or, you know, crabs for crumbs and all that. But 
we are we have done some amazing things. You have done some amazing things, and and it dawned on me. I I don't think we've given Jay Z probably enough credit uh, mm-hmm. for being an icon. And it's all like we got to wait till he's not here anymore, and then talk about how wonderful he is. So I want to start the conversation there. I mean, you've spent a lot of your your academic life on Jay Z. Um, why and why is he on on uh, sort of the Mount Rushmore of the American culture, not just Black American culture, but American culture? Why? What what must we get about him? Well, I think the incredible fertility of his mind, the productivity of his artistic endeavor, the way he continues to, you know, uh, give voice to his ambitions lyrically his relentless pace of change, his evolution as an artist and as a man, his tethering of his artistic, you know, and aesthetic expression to his political commitments, his determination to have social conscience and social justice advocacy as part of his universe, his starting a social justice, criminal justice reform with the Reform Alliance movement, uh, an aspect of his work is making documentaries on Khalif Browder, the young man who was sent to Rikers for no good reason, never had a trial despite being there for several years, finally released and then killing himself because he could no longer fight his demons and the injustice of the bail system that, that Jay has continually and principally fought. Uh, talking about Meek Mill and the fact that this great rapper was on parole since the time he was 19 and continually being sent back to jail. Uh, Jay and his music speaking about a wide range of social justice issues from the over-medication of black kids to enslavement in America. Uh, think about the verse that he mixes along with his bling and his wealth consciousness. He talked about Ben Laden, Ben Hatton in Manhattan, anthrax, crack was anthrax back then, back when. Police was out, Kaida, the black men. So here's a guy who's been on the front line, uh, developing as an artist, evolving as a human being, growing as a social justice advocate, who became recently a billionaire and has leveraged, you know, all that he has and possesses in defense of the vulnerable, even as he continues to uh, engage in serious, you know, artistic and social endeavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is Jay-Z Made in America by Professor Michael Eric Dyson. So, so you know, Made in America, uh, I, I, I think of, you know, the, 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 uh, the O.J. Simpson, you know, the HBO documentary, O.J. Made in America. Two, two completely different people, two completely right. different uh, impacts. I mean, I, I, but I think, it's, I think it's fascinating because, you know, when you become rich and famous and a billionaire or rich and famous – and black, there's always a a danger, whether it's real perception of being perceived as somehow being co-opted, you know, by by the very system that that sort of made you a billionaire. What what's the difference? I mean, he's no O.J. Simpson, but they're both made in America, which is fascinating to so Two black men, like they're made in America. But what's the difference between the two? Well, <clears throat> Jay Z has never said I'm not. Black, I'm um, Jay-Z, <laughs> you know. 
Right. He understands that he's a black man in America. He understands the lethal limits and the criminal plight of black men, the criminal you know, refusal to acknowledge our humanity and fighting against it and naming it in his music and uh, forever in a day uh, proclaiming his pride in his blackness, talking about the injustice of being poor and black in this country and speaking about issues that resonate with black people. God, yep. forgive me for my brass delivery, but I remember vividly what these streets did to me. Yeah. Imagine me allowing you to nitpick at me and portray me like a pickin'. So, you know, Jay-Z has, from the very beginning, been explicit and clear about the need to join his racial consciousness to his artistic expression and to, to articulate the consequences of being black in America and to explore them through his music. And then furthermore, despite all of his enormous success, uh, he has never turned his back on black communities and black peoples. Now, people may disagree with some of the choices he's made. They disagree with Martin Luther King Jr. They disagree with Malcolm X. So being disagreed with by black people is no litmus test for whether one is an authentic black person or not. There's a huge difference in an Oriental James Simpson and a Sean Corey Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Jamal's got a lot of stuff to ask you. Well, one question I, I've been thinking about myself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess, you know, outside of, you know, growing up in, in R&B music and all that, for most of my life, I've been pretty much into what I call the music. You know, mostly, you know, you know jazz and what, what, what we call jazz and, and all that. And, you know, through my daughter, I followed hip-hop. But what have those of us who stayed siloed, into the music, maybe just jazz, and, and, and tangentially picked up on whatever jazz, young jazz artists incorporate rap and hip-hop in their music. But outside of that, not really digging in like you have. What have we missed? What, what are those of now in our, our late 60s? I mean, your whole, like I said, much of your academic career has been studying this through Jay-Z. You teach a course uh, at, 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 uh, at Georgetown. What have we missed? Well, you miss the parallels between the music you love and the door, jazz music and hip-hop. Both of them are born in highly suspicious circumstances, right? Jazz music is born in the brothels of New Orleans, born in the underbelly of the underculture and the underclass communities of, you know, major American cities, including New Orleans, you know, uh, the Cat House was the preferred scene of much of the emergence of some of this music. Mm-hmm. So hip-hop emerges out of, you know, inglorious circumstances and situations in New York where gang warfare or an economic immiseration and misery that the music was born. You know, I've had this uh, conversation and debate with Wendy Marcellus. I said, you can hold up jazz music as a paragon of virtue, and now because we put on tuxedos and, you know, uh, formal dinner dresses for women and go hear uh, jazz music at Lincoln Center, there was a time that that was the furthest thing from the mind of anybody who was Mm -hmm. either listening to jazz or making it. So Mm -hmm. there's a similar trajectory, and in the same way that bebop and bop were an aesthetic resistance, swing music being co-opted by white figures, 
and putting forth more complicated uh, cadences and flows and rhythms out of the street that Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and others put forth in bop and hard bop and bebop, then, you know, hip-hop has undergone the same thing, Uh, a shift in style, a shift in cadence, a transition in flow. So both thematically and culturally where they were born and grew up and the kinds of choices before them, there's a lot of agreement between bebop and hip-hop. So you're missing the verbal invention of your our own young mm-hmm. black people. We're missing the fertile creativity. We're missing the wordplay. We're missing the cadence, the flow, the inventiveness, and the and the ability to engage in historic analysis, historical analysis in hip hop, its edifying dimensions as well as some of its destructive ones. So these are some of the things that you miss. When uh, you don't pay attention, like many of us don't pay attention uh, to hip-hop or think that it's one thing when it's uh, many things at the same time and far more complicated than we might ever imagine. I mean, what's, what's Jay-Z's, I guess, uh, kind of blue or Jay-Z's giant steps or Jay-Z's love supreme? Uh, and, I, and I do agree with you. I mean, I, it would be great if right. somehow Jay-Z would find his way into Lincoln Center. But, you know, that's a whole other issue because there are a lot of avant-garde musicians who aren't finding a way into Lincoln Center. Played Carnegie Hall with the symphony, right? Mm-hmm. With an orchestra behind him. Uh, yeah. Nas has played Kennedy Center. Right. And his kind of blue is called Illmatic. <laughs> Jay-Z's, maybe the blueprint was his kind of blue. Literally blue, kind of blue for Miles Davis. What is that, 58-59 with mm-hmm. John Coltrane, you know, uh, Cannonball Adderley. Bill Evans, Philly Joe Jones, I don't know, whoever. I think yeah, it was, it was Bill Evans with the piano, uh, All right. uh, piano. Paul Chambers, bass. but yeah, I mean. So, so, so that, and then you had Jay with Blueprint in, you know, 2001, the day that the towers are falling in New York City. He drops Blueprint. And then you've got a Kanye West uh, as one of the producers, or a Just Blaze on that and later, or Pharrell Williams. So you got uh, other geniuses who are assisting in the production. So Reasonable Doubt is one of his greatest ones. The right. Blueprint, you know, Giant Steps, maybe the experimental part of Blueprint 3, whether it's uh, long and some would say too long, but engaging in a very serious way. So there are there are certainly parallels. And if people mm. listen, they will understand those uh, electrifying aesthetic parallels between the two. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, you were just talking about, obviously, hip hop, you know, at its at its root has always spoken, you know, truth to power, uh, spoken against racism, talked about economics, never, you know, never forget where you came, came from, that type of thing. How do you, how do you think right. Jay-Z has distinguished himself in that area rather than just doing what everybody else was already doing? Well, he certainly he knew that uh, the, talking about bacchanalia, the gleeful release of ecstasy and sex, or, you know, talking about the tremendous virtues of, you know, engaging in materialism and the like, mm. that right alongside of that, he's talking about social justice issues. You know, Tell Me What You Want, Pretty Mama, on Kingdom Come, is on the same album as Minority Report where he's speaking about 
the conditions, the plight and predicament of poor black people who were left behind in Katrina. Right. So his unique contribution has been to understand, as he said on, what is his second, maybe a third album, y'all wasn't feeling me when I first came out. You know, the classic stuff I dropped, maybe it was too intelligent, too sharp. So I had to change the game up. And so he had to be strategic about it so that the people could be convinced to stick around after listening to some of the hotter singles that were being dropped that were about partying or hustling and the like, that then he could play his consciousness about politics and the like. I think he did that in an especially ingenious fashion. Yeah, you, you, you've written about, uh, you wrote a book about Tupac, How If You Hear Me, uh, Anaz, you know, Born to Use Mics. Uh, has, has Jay-Z surpassed the legend of Tupac, of, of, uh, of Biggie Small? I mean, and again, it kind of gets back to what I said at the beginning. You almost, you almost have to die <laughs> because, <laughs> right. you know, before you assume a statue like Train or like uh, Sam Cooke. You know, has Jay-Z surpassed Tupac and Biggie in terms of, uh, you know, the legend, the, the myth, the, the, the shadow over young black culture. And, I mean, he's going to be 50 next month, right? Yeah, next month. Yes, yeah, December 4th. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Jay is conscious of the fact. He said they got me fighting ghosts, <laughs> Tupac and Biggie. You know, and Biggie was his very dear friend, but you can still have a sense of competition. You both want to be the best. Uh, you both want to hone your skill, and had Biggie lived, I think they would have had intense competition in the most, you know, uplifting and charitable fashion, because Jay was on the come up and developing, and, you know, Biggie had done his thing and was just beginning, and I think it might have been some fruitful, you know, collaborations as they made a couple, three before Biggie died. And so, you know, cultural significance, wealth creation, Aesthetic articulation, when you consider the whole range of what it is, Jay-Z is pretty non-parade. You know, it's unparalleled in what he's been able to do. Now, the memory of Pac especially rings powerfully across the horizon. You can go anywhere in this world and Pac is seen and celebrated and embraced in a certain way. So his global cultural influence is real, but what Jay-Z has been able to do with the art form, both of those guys died pretty early. 25 for Tupac, 24 for Biggie. Even though Pac was enormously fertile and creative and sought outlets for his music, a lot of which didn't come out until he heard it, but so surpassed in the sense of the actual achievement of the art form, the verbs, the nouns, and the use of lyrical expression to articulate your ideas about the world, yeah, he certainly has surpassed them. In terms of cultural significance and influence, in terms of the present day, there's no question that he stands alone, Jay does. But at the same time, you know, because both of them were martyred and both of them died pretty early under horrible and even tragic circumstances, uh, murders that are as yet unsolved, they remain uh, iconic figures whose martyrdom continues to inspire generations after generations to acknowledge them as fierce creators and trailblazers and iconic figures uh, who are pretty unique 
in the history of hip hop. I would totally agree with that. I think, uh, I mean, just the longevity, uh, Jay Z. You know, he's been you know he's been around all these years since those two have passed. Uh, he's been able to adapt and evolve and stay on top, and also evolve in on the court and off the court. You know, so to speak. Um, what he's been able to do, obviously business wise, uh, you know, he's still a major figure in the culture. It's a, it seems to be only getting bigger. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that he is at least on their level, if not, you know, have, having surpassed them in terms of his significance yeah. at this stage. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, author of the new book, Jay-Z, Made in America. Stay tuned. My We've been together for a while now. And you know I love the way you make me smile now. Nothing in this world can take us apart now. You'll forever have a piece of my heart now. Let's go back. I remember when we first... Yeah, here's the thing. For those of us who, you know, I've been sort of involved in the, the civil rights movement in sports and the that that connection uh, to to black culture and all that, and you know that and 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 jazz have been my kind of major arteries, and we're kind of you know you following the struggle and all that. Then all of a sudden, Jay Z kind of pops in, and and he pops in in a way that was not universally popular with you know with this whole thing with um, brokering a deal with the NFL. Of when you know when Kaepernick is not playing, and so with all the glowing things that he he has accomplished and done in a matter of like a week, you you stand against let's say a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who's you know struggle becomes sort of a a political mantle in, in the thing of you know, Ali and Smith and Carlos and that kind of stuff. I, I know that you 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 defended that. And that that's not in this book. Uh, but what's your take on what Jay-Z did or did not do by brokering a deal with the NFL relative to his, his this, this legacy of being the man of the people, the, this, this cultural paragon? Well, uh, let's, first of all, let's go back, though. If we're going to talk about overnight sensations, it's got to be Colin Kaepernick. Jay's been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Jay's been involved in the social justice movement for an extremely long time. He's been raising issues about it. He's been quietly giving behind the scenes. He's been fostering conversations. He's been supporting people without a claim. So long before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, Jay-Z was taking a stand and mm-hmm. doing something in a very powerful fashion. So if we're going to talk about Johnny Come Lately. It's got to be Colin Kaepernick. Number one. Well, he clearly is, but, but, but uh, yeah, right. He clearly is. I mean, but you're talking about two different fields. But, but okay, for the sake of argument. That, but I'm just saying, I'm just speaking to how you framed it, right? So, of course, it's two different things. And secondly, Colin Kaepernick is an extraordinary figure. Did he know he was going to start a movement when he took a knee? No. You know, many people, Martin Luther King Jr., did we know that when Rosa Parks stayed on that bus strategically looking for a potential intervention that would ramify across the country, and make a huge difference in the lives of people, that a movement would be born and Martin Luther King Jr. would be thrust into international thing. No. Hmm. So some of these things are incidental, happenstance, you know, accidental, but we can say they're providential because, you know, you can say, well, God, you know, intended this, universe intended. 
so a lot of people stumble into stuff mm. uh, that they don't necessarily strategize themselves into. And I think Colin Kaepernick is such a case where he started a movement based upon a gesture that mushroomed, you know, way beyond him, even more beautiful, you know, even mushrooming, even as his beautiful fro mushroom, right? <laughs> and uh, a figure who has given voice to so many people inspired them. And I think that he is legitimately an iconic figure in that sense. Now, people can start comparing, well, he didn't do what Ali did. He didn't sacrifice what Ali sacrificed. You know, Ali wasn't making any money. He didn't get any uh, deals uh, with Nike or any other brand when he was doing what he was doing. You know, he had to borrow money from Joe Frazier, you know, who he then crapped on uh, later on in an unfortunate uh, instance. So there are many things we can say, hey, he didn't do that. But that's, that's apples and oranges. This, this is the time in which we live, and Colin is doing what he's doing at the time he's doing it. So did, did you I, think Jay-Z undercut him? No, not at all. Let, let me tell you what happened. Uh, from my perspective, at least. Mm. I think that, first of all, without Jay-Z, and however you consider what eventually happened with what you, the, the fiasco of a tryout, he mm. would never receive the possibility of a tryout without Jay-Z being present. There was so Jay-Z broke that. Yes, absolutely he did. And how do we know? Because Roger Goodell didn't get off the dime, the NFL didn't get off the dime in three years, that they had the potential and the opportunity to give him a shot to try out. So we know Jay-Z's presence brokered it, and we know Jay-Z was playing the long game. And he understood that it was necessary for Collins to have a tryout, and not only a tryout, it was way beyond that. It was getting back into the league. I think they brokered more than a tryout. I think they brokered a potential spot and a place for this man to land because it was egregious and defensive for him to be prevented from exercising his craft for no other reason than he was a black man who took a stand for black people. If, if this is the case, if this is true, and Jay-Z brokered it, we can talk about that. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that Jay-Z as an artist is one of the most important figures in American culture, no matter whether you agree with this or not, this is almost a blip. You know what I mean? It's like a blip. This is just a disagreement among whatever. But if, if he did, if he did broker it, did he talk to, to Colin about it? And why did Colin essentially in run it and basically not bite? Yeah, well, first of all, it's Colin's choice, but let's, let, Colin is not the most responsible person for returning calls, sir. <laughs> and let me just say this on, I'll say it on record. Uh, Colin Kaepernick came up to me at the um, great shindig that Tyler Perry had in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, with Jay-Z and Beyonce present, and I saw them interacting, and he came up to me and he said, I want to straighten you out about this stuff. I said, brother, straighten me out. I am here and available. And before I wrote a piece for the Washington Post about, you know, Jay and Kaepernick, I called Kaepernick. Cricket. I called Nessa. Cricket. I love both of them. Mm. And I'm saying, and I ain't some dude on the side street, so I'm not even going to try to play false modesty here. I'm a big deal. If I call you and I got influence in the culture and you know who you are and you're a big deal, don't play me to the left like I'm some, um, some other dude who's your PR guy. And I told Colin that. You know, he says, I, I told him, I said, well, what, sir, you use my telephone number mostly. 
to send me stuff you want me to tweet out. Right. As a PR person, people pay me mad loot for my ideals, sir, just to hear Biggie Small speak. That's for Brother Murray. So <laughs> the thing is, right, the thing is, is that I'm a guy of, of estimable worth involved in this at a high profile who's prominent, who's on your side, and you can't even call me out. So miss me with the did he call Kaepernick thing, because I've tried and engaged in the process of advocating for him, and there are many stories like this. And I don't want to put the business, look, right. look I love Colin Kaepernick, and everybody, nobody's perfect, but when it comes to these kind of things, did he call him first? A lot of people called him. I called him. I, don't, I can't speak for Jay, but I knew he talked to him. I can speak for Michael Eric Dyson, and I can tell you right now. Now, I'm not Jay-Z, and I don't have the ability to broker a deal, but I'm saying to you that what Colin Kaepernick wanted to happen, happened, right? And, and, and look, I think there are complications on both sides. Let me go even further here. I think that when Martin Luther King Jr., you, you've been referring to the civil rights movement. Let me, give, let me draw an example from one of the pages of that history. Martin Luther King Jr. was in Albany, Georgia, 1961. He got out-strategized by hmm. a by the name of Laurie Pritchard. What did Laurie Pritchard say? Hmm, I ain't going to be violent toward these people. I'm going to be nonviolent in arresting them. That was the first strategic uh, victory. Then he says, I'm not going to put them in the same jail. I'm going to separate them so they can't think together and create enclaves of resistance. He out-strategized them, and King and them had to admit that. It was a failure in the Albany movement, right, and at least in that sense. <clears throat> Two years later, having learned from that, why? Because King organized his staff where they argued fiercely and vigorously, cutting each other out at times. Man, you say this, I say this, arguing with King, arguing what the position would be. Why he should do this? Why he shouldn't do that? Colin Kaepernick could stand that, sir. He could take somebody who's the loyal opposition. Hey, Colin, do you think this thing to roll up in a job interview by insisting that you be able to, to tape it? And I know you're skeptical or suspicious. And the NFL says we said he could bring his own person. They can, they can look at the process of taping. We're not going to be able to misrepresent what he did. And by the way, we'll give you the entire feed, the raw footage at the end of your workout. And did somebody say to Colin, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't wear, wear the, the Kunta Kente shirt. Maybe you should wear a Disney shirt. And walk into the chair like, pick him out and go, hey, boys and girls, how are you? And then get that job and get inside and tear that stuff up. Look, these are things that people have done. I'm not saying he's got to do it, but I'm saying it's not illegitimate to ask him for strategy. And it's not illegitimate to suggest to him that there are different ways to achieve your goal. And you're not the only person doing it. And for Eric Reed, whom I love and adore as well, even if both of these brothers call me sellout, I don't care. I love and admire them. But for them to call Malcolm Jenkins a sellout, who has done strategic work, who has been off the ground, figuring out the nuts and bolts and mechanics of the application of legal principles to social practices and, you know, and, and laws in in different states like stand your ground law or getting sentences reduced or children who are not tried as adults. That is what Colin Kaepernick said he was about. He said it was not about him. It was not about the anthem. It was about oppression. 
these players are dealing with it on the ground, and yet because they don't do it the way Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick think, they're sellouts. I think that is bogus. I think that is problematic. I think no one person owns the movement. Even if Colin set it up, he doesn't copyright it. He can't control it. He can't control what he represents. He can't control what he thinks is important. He should be celebrated as an iconic figure. But, bruh, the movement is bigger than you. Hey, you, you mentioned Colin as an icon, but in the, kind of getting back to your book, 50 years from now, 50 years from now, you know, we, I think you and I, we all, we, we believe in the test of time. You know, we're still talking about Louis Armstrong. We're still talking about Bird. We're still talking, 50 years from now, are we going to be talking about Jay-Z or are we going to be Colin Kaepernick? And, and who stands the test of time? We're going to talk about Jay-Z, sir. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about the you know, never been a brother this good, this long, this hood, this pop. <laughs> I mean, look, he said it, and it's true. His cultural contribution will stand the test of time. His commitment to social justice principles will stand the test of time. I think Colin Kaepernick will be seen as an important intervention in a social justice movement as well. But if you, you know, if, if, if Muhammad Ali paid a price, an enormous price, so is Colin Kaepernick. He's been denied the right to exercise his gift. Now, let's be brutally honest, too. When a lot of the heroes we love are doing their thing, they're at the height of their political. Uh, well, you got exactly. Right. You gotta, in, in our business, you got to win. You have to be a champion. That, that's the first thing. For one in the, what are you in the last eleven starts? He's one in ten. I'm talking about Colin. Right. So he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, at the height. And I saw him, by the way, up, up the height of his powers. I saw him at, in the Super Bowl where he was one play from winning it in New Orleans when uh, Beyonce was so electrifying the lights went out for a while. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, so Colin has been been trapped by one member of the uh, of the Carter family, whether Jay Z or Beyonce, from the beginning. <laughs> so, for me, when you look at world historical figures in the Hegelian sense, there's no question that Jay Z's considerable moral gravitas, his aesthetic creation, his interventions in the world of social justice advocacy and wealth and business creation, there's no doubt that he will be a towering figure. Is, is it is it possible in the, in the situation? I mean, I, I, acknowledge, uh, uh, I acknowledge that Kaepernick, you know, I'm sure has made some mistakes along the way. But I would say all parties involved, including Jay-Z, have, ma- have probably made some mistakes along the way. If, I, if we go sure. back to the, to the original announcement of Jay-Z's partnership with the NFL, I think what turned a lot of people off was the way he announced it and, and in kind of dismissing the kneeling, I think that's something he may yeah. he may have I mean, misspoke a, or yeah, you know I what think, I mean. Look, I think the phrasing was unfortunate. The idea he was trying to get at though was that kneeling is a gesture. What are the politics that support it? And then when you look at the second tape that was released, he said, "Yes, we should protest." Right? The very answer is in the next tape where he released from the same meeting. Should we protest? Yes. Should we continue to aggravate and agitate? Yes. So he said it right there. It was unfortunate the way in which that was phrased, because I think what he was trying to aim at is that you can't just keep kneeling. What else are we going to do? That's why Matthew Jenkins has answered the call. Let's strategize. Let's look at local laws. Let's look at their application. And let's go further. If we're going to be honest, a lot of these players say they can't can't reach Colin. He won't cooperate with them. He won't force connection with them. He's a lone gunslinger. He's a lone ranger. 
I mean, let's just be real. So, and that's good, because Paul and Silas couldn't get into the Bible either. They spread the gospel in different ways. Let's just accept the fact, let's not call names and call you a sellout if you don't agree with me. You go away your way, I go mine, and let's all be involved in justice. You be Malcolm X, I'll be Martin Luther King Jr. You be Ida B. Wells Barnett, I'll be, you know, Du Bois. You be, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer, I'll be Joanne Robinson, Septon McClark, Mary Church Terrell, Dorothy Height. Let's all understand there are multiple ways to get to Broadway in New York. You go <laughs> down 2nd Street, you go down 75th Street. Let's acknowledge that and stop the necessity for demonizing folks and then elevate all of us who are concerned and committed to doing the right thing. And I think Colin Kaepernick and Jay-Z are both those kind of figures. Mm-hmm. And, and I made the mistake, too, when Jay-Z first uh, made the deal with the NFL you know, I said, oh, you know, he's prostituting, he's a prostitute, and all that. And in retro, I mean, that that was not right. And it kind of, we don't have you're to a big use man, that kind of, you're a, uh, well, we don't have to use that language. What that's you were so, saying. That, that must be celebrated, and that must be acknowledged, because you didn't have to do that. You're a big man. You're already one of the most famous sport writers, sports writers in the history of this country, and certainly in our community. And for you to acknowledge that, is you're, you are modeling the kind of behavior that all of us should, should advance but here's what I say. I think what you were saying and what we're trying to get to is that we can all be right. I mean, we could. Yeah. Th- this whole idea of, like you said, it's not my way, so you're a sellout. It's not. I don't know. And I guess maybe historically in the movement, there were these types of things. But I, I just, I don't know how much money uh, finance has kind of come into it, where we've got to pander to the crowd. You know, now we're on TV. We've got to. There's a whole. You know, the, the uh, what do you call it? A, Honorary, I mean, speakers fees are like fifty. You know, so there's 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 more stuff that that I wonder if it militates against us really coming together as a team. And now there's too many right. factors that prevent me from saying, well, hey, acknowledging right. you, acknowledging Jay Z. I mean, we always seem to have to have this this fight. You know this, you and, know and you know who's winning. Right. But can I say this? Everybody yeah. talking about that they got money. Everybody you talking about today, Jay, Kaepernick, the players, Malcolm Jenkins, Angrop, they all making money. Right? Yeah. So if that's gonna be the litmus test, now Jay got a lot more, but Collins got enough to, to, to for the average person to last them five lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So if we're gonna use that litmus test, then they all gotta be disqualified. <laughs> so that there are bigger principles that are at play. And as you say, we and, and that doesn't mean we don't have to ask the question about who's selling out because some people sell out who make fifteen dollars an hour. Some people don't sell out who make a billion dollars. So we've right. got to understand what that might mean, although we know the temptation to sell out at that higher level is, is far greater. So I think we have yeah. to understand that Malcolm X called King a Tom and the greatest weapon the white man has ever had, and then later on understood how great he was, and the very Malcolm X who was calling other people Toms and other people sellouts was calling them sellouts by his own people, and they killed him. Yeah. That's what that gets us. That's what it leads to. It can. When you think you're right, so right that you think God tells you to hurt another human being, that's the kind of viciousness that we have to do with that. Absolutely, absolutely. The book is Jay-Z Made in America. Uh, The author is Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. We'll have a discussion about Lamar Jackson next week. (laughs) That's a bad boy. That's a bad boy right there. What did Ali say? I'm a bad man. Yeah, I'm a bad. He don't shut. I shook up the world. I shook up. The I shook world. up the world. <laughs> he 
about to mess uh-huh. I thought my man, I'm an old man, so I like old people who do great things like Tom Brady. He about to mess Tom Brady ain't going to escape Baltimore, brothers. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, they're, they're praying, they're praying, New England is praying that they don't have to come down to Baltimore. They said, please let us, let us get this first, this yeah, first seed. They, that's right. They want to get that back. Doug, it ain't, fast it's fancy. If people want to follow you and your work, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram and Facebook, it's at Michael Eric Dyson. And on Twitter, it's at Michael E. Dyson. Hey, 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 Michael, thanks so much, man. This has been tremendous. Right, brother, thanks a lot. Young legend in the making, one already made. Thank you all so very much. All right. Hey, hey. Hold up, hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Look, hey, hold up. Why don't you be different, be different? Yeah, hold up. That's all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at W.C. Roden. That's at W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. And I'm on Twitter, uh, Jamal Murphy, at Blackatologist, B-L-A-C-K-E-T-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and The Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs>